Acts chapter 5 from verse 12 through 42. I trust we are there already, so I'll just comment again. <clears throat> now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, for the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that it, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senates of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here, Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging, by hanging him on a tree. But God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill him. 
but a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave others to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with those men. For before these days, Tildas rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. Verse 38. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they are called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And the last verse says, And every day in the temple, and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Blessed be the reading of the word. Thank you so much for reading. Yeah, me, that was wonderful. Um, so Sam's going to come now, and so come on up. And Sam, you, you come from a different part of London. Which part of London are you I do currently staying in? Slightly different. Uh, I live in Crystal Palace. Is that um, nice? Very nice. Okay. Very it's nice. quite high up, isn't it? It is, yeah. We, we're surrounded on all sides by hills, so I guess we're on the hill. But okay. I, I notice that every time I go for a run, I have to finish my run <laughs> on the hill, which is really exhausting. Good. Do you do any park runs or anything like that? I, I try to because actually that one is flat. Yeah, so yeah oh, nice. That's a pretty, Great. pretty good option. Oh, well, I'm um, sure you put us through our paces this morning. <laughs> so um, it'll be good to get to know you a bit as you preach to us, um, but we'll chat to you a bit more afterwards as well. Good. Thanks for so much for coming. Thanks for and, having me. Um, uh, from Christchurch Mayfair, another commission church. So thanks. Thanks for having me. Over to you. Thank you very much for reading. Really appreciate it. Well, good afternoon. It's really, really good to be here. Um, thank you very much for having me. I, I was thinking on the way here, I'm not sure I've ever been this far east before. Um, probably once or twice, but escaped my memory. Um, let me just pray as we begin. Dear Lord, we thank you for this evening. Uh, we pray that you can speak through your words um, and Lord, that you can make clear this text tonight. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we find ourselves in the Acts of the Apostles, which is the true story of the early church. Um, It's filled with powerful, exciting stories like the one tonight, uh, where the apostles and the early believers preach the good news of Jesus Christ after he has ascended into heaven. Um, And as we've just read, the passage tonight is Acts 5, 
verses 12 to 42. Um, so please, do keep your Bibles open. Please follow along. Make sure that what I'm saying is right according to the text. Um, let me start with an, an illustration. So about a month ago, I was playing football. I started on the bench, unfortunately. But as I was coming on, I realized that I didn't have my shin pads on. Now, just before I went on, I thought to myself, I remember the referee told us that we have to wear our shin pads while we're playing. So I decided to put them on. And thankfully, around 10 minutes into the game, I got kicked incredibly hard by a member of the opposing team. And because I put my shin pads on, I was free from injury. Now, it's a, a very, very basic example, but what it shows is that obedience is very important, and obedience, or a lack of obedience, has consequences for us all. Obeying the ref ma- matters, and it kept me fit and healthy, but if obedience matters in something like football, then how much more does it matter whether we obey God or whether we do not So this is the headline for tonight. Hopefully you can see that. Um, We must obey God rather than men. Um, The climax of the passage is in chapter 5, verse 29 to 32, where Peter and the apostles are put before the religious leaders on trial. And Peter says, we must obey God rather than men, and goes on to say, and we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Obeying God in this passage is about remaining faithful to the gospel. We're told, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So obeying God is remaining faithful to this beautiful message. Now, there are two main points. The first is that disobeying God brings darkness. And the second is that obeying God brings life. And then I'll have some application just to finish. So, um, just before I start, let me give you some context. So, we, we find ourselves in Acts 5. In Acts 4, it's very similar. So, the apostles go out, they preach the words... Many, many people come to Christ, um, but the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders of the time, are greatly annoyed that the apostles are preaching that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And so they drag the apostles in front of a council, they question them, they threaten them, uh, and then they release them. And uh, it's a similar story tonight, so that we start off in verses 12 to 16, the apostles are performing signs and wonders. Many people are coming to Christ, but as a result, uh, from verses 17 to 26, the Jewish religious leaders are very annoyed, particularly the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees were just members of the religious leaders who didn't believe in the resurrection at all, so no one would be raised from the dead. So they're particularly annoyed by what the apostles are saying. They put them in prison, and then the apostles are free from prison by an angel of the Lord. They go out preaching the message again. As a result, confusion follows. They go to the prison and they're like, where have they gone? We put them here. The bars are closed. 
Um, and then they find them preaching the message in, in the center of Jerusalem. And then they're taken in front of the leaders, put before a trial, um, which ends up in them being beaten, but released. And they go out rejoicing and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So as we get started, let me remind you again that this passage is about obeying God rather than men. And the first point is that disobeying God brings darkness. So we see disobedience most clearly in this text from the Jewish religious leaders uh, who respond very negatively to the gospel message. And ultimately, they totally ignore what the apostles are saying. They reject it. They value their own wisdom above the wisdom of God. And it leads them to dark places spiritually. So we see firstly that the religious leaders are jealous in verse 17. Um, as they're reacting to the apostles. It says, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him. And filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. So right from the beginning, they just completely reject what the apostles are saying. They don't measure to themselves and think, is this true or not? And these people are the experts of the Jewish religious law, what we have in the Old Testament. And they would have been knowledgeable of God in some ways, but are greatly annoyed by the idea that anyone could be raised from the dead, particularly Jesus, who claimed to be God and is God. And so despite being well aware of the facts, they're not ignorant to the facts. They would have been there as well when Jesus did his ministry on earth, um, and potentially some of them would have been friends with those who put Jesus ultimately to death um, as religious leaders in Jerusalem. But yet they're filled with jealousy, they're filled with resentment, suspicion, envy, most likely because of the amount of people who were coming to believe in Jesus. They were jealous almost of the apostles' success of the, the gospel message. And so their hearts are set up set against the gospel um, and as a result they try and restrict it they think how can we stop this from happening this is terrible let's stick them in prison and uh, we can deal with it that way we see that the religious leaders are fearful in verse 19 so after the angel of the Lord uh, so an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and then in, in verse 22 to 26 um, we see that they want to drag the apostles before a trial, but they don't do it by force. Um, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. So, of course, great confusion ensues after the apostles suddenly disappear from the middle of prison. I think that's understandable to us all. A miracle of the Lord has taken them uh, out of the prison. Um, but, again, this is another, another moment for them to consider... Okay, we put these people in prison, something miraculous has happened. But instead they continue on their path of disobedience. They're not curious at all, they're not, they don't inquire as to how the apostles got out. Um, they just immediately go, okay, we need to go get these guys and, and put them on trial. And I think it's interesting that they're fearful because in this story, the religious leaders are the ones who have the earthly power. They have the ability to put them in prison. They have the ability to put them on trial. And yet, they're fearful of the people. So they're not only putting themselves above God and obeying their own wisdom above God's wisdom, but they're also 
uh, fearful of man, um, just the common people. Their hearts remain dark as they continue to oppose the gospel message. Um, we see at the beginning of the trial, in verse 28, they say to the apostles, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man, Jesus, blood on us. So they have a guilty conscience in some ways, and it, it worsens as they accuse the apostle of bringing this man's blood upon them. Um, again, who in this story has wronged the other party? Well, it's clearly that the religious leaders have wronged the apostles who are doing nothing wrong except preaching Christ. And yet it is them who accuse the apostles of wrongdoing and teaching them a false message and bringing guilt upon them in the process. Normally at a trial, the person who you're trying to find guilt in is the person on trial. And yet in this scenario, it's the opposite. They're the ones who are feeling guilty about what is happening. And so we see, we continue to see at each step in this story, the Pharisees and the religious leaders have never stopped to consider whether this is true or not. They just continue to oppose it blindly. Now we see the next thing is that the religious leaders are enraged. So Peter says in verse 32 to 33, And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, the religious leaders, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. So we've seen that they're feeling guilty, they're jealous, they're fearful, and now they're full of rage. And uh, it goes on to say in verse 40, when they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. So they're also, they react violently as well against the apostles' message. Now, Peter has, has proclaimed the gospel and told them of the greatest gift that any man then and now, man and woman, could ever receive. And they react with rage. Um, it's quite disappointing. This is the message that brings life. And yet they, their reaction is one of wanting to destroy this gift. And in their disobedience, uh, they resort ultimately to violence. So I think it's very clear the dark places that the Pharisees and the religious leaders go as a result of their disobedience and disobeying God and putting themselves above God. And I think for us, it's important to see that disobedience is ultimately a burden. Um, it leads us to dark places spiritually. And when we put our wisdom above God's wisdom, we lose our way. It might often feel like it's an easy thing to follow what we think is right um, or to follow what we think is correct in times when it's hard um, but ultimately we, we must value God's wisdom above our own um, and we, we should be warned about the progression of disobedience that we see in this passage um, because it's possible for this to happen uh, to all of us here <clears throat> it's unlikely of course that any of you are putting people unjustly in front of a trial. Um, but we do need to ask ourselves, what does disobedience in our own lives look like? Perhaps that's getting angry at a family member or a friend. Perhaps it's getting jealous about someone else's success or a colleague getting promoted at work when you think you should be promoted. 
But I would encourage you to know that giving in to these things, giving in to anger, giving in to jealousy, will never satisfy the soul. It will only feed the sin in your heart. Thankfully, through Jesus, we are offered forgiveness for sins. um, And we are able to turn away from the potential of eternal darkness and separation from God that the religious leaders and those who do not obey God and do not follow Christ will face um, in the next life. Which leads me to my second point, that obeying God brings life. It's a very sort of lovely picture of uh, grass growing next to a stream, which is nice. And hallelujah that we have the example of the apostles uh, in these passages. They are faithful witnesses to the gospel message uh, in all the circumstances that they face. They, they particularly obey God and follow God and proclaim the gospel good news in the hardest situation that they're faced with in this passage. I think it's important to say for us all that obeying God brings life in that we receive the Holy Spirit and we will have eternal life with Him in the next life. Hallelujah for that. So in verse 14, we see the faithful ministry of the apostles. Um, We see that they're performing signs and wonders. Um, They're healing the sick. And more than ever, in verse 14, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Um, So they're proclaiming the gospel, and people are coming to Christ. We see that after they're freed from prison, um, they obey the angel of the Lord, um, and they, uh, yeah, in verse 19, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. So they're behind bars facing uh, earthly opposition from the powers of the day, the religious leaders. And when an angel of the Lord tells them, well, helps them escape, I'm sure they'll be very grateful for that. But the angel of the Lord then goes and says, proclaim the gospel. Go back and keep doing what you were doing that just got you arrested. But in this, in, as the Pharisees never stopped to consider their disobedience, the apostles immediately obeyed. And they don't ask any questions. They don't react fearfully. They don't find excuses. They don't think to themselves, oh, if we, if we go and preach again, the religious leaders are going to be even more harsh on us. Will they put us to death, potentially? They obey, and they preach the gospel faithfully. And this reaches a climax. So as I said, they're dragged in front of the religious leaders. Um, although not not by force. And then in verse forty nine, uh, in verse twenty nine, um, Peter and the apostles answered, "We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses." To these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. So they're told, stop preaching the gospel. And they say, absolutely not. 
they react with boldness and with courage. When faced with a significant trial and faced with significant opposition, um, there's no question who they're going to obey, who they're going to follow. And friends, this is the gospel message. Um, it is a beautiful, beautiful message that is available to all. Um, that Jesus died and was raised for us. He's now exalted at the right hand of God as our leader and savior. And if we trust in him, that we will receive re- uh, forgiveness of sins through repentance. And it is obedience ultimately to this message that brings us life. Um, and we see that we receive the Holy Spirit through this obedience. The Holy Spirit is given um, to those who obey God. Um, and to have God himself living inside us um, through the Holy Spirit is a wonderful thing. So in verse 41, um, after they've been released, after they've been beaten, it says, uh, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So with the religious leaders, we see a pattern of disobedience. And with the apostles, we see a pattern of obedience. Even though they've been tried, they've been beaten, they've been persecuted, and I'm sure if you read the rest of Acts, you'll see they continue to be persecuted. It says that every day they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Um, And they rejoice, they consider it an honor that they're suffering for the gospel. We have a very clear example from this passage of what obedience looks like. And for us, it's important that we obey God in all circumstances that we face, in all aspects of our life. Because we might not relate exactly to this, depending on where you're from, it it might be the persecution Christians face might be worse, might be more similar to this. But we will be opposed because of Jesus Christ. And if we're facing opposition from friends, from family, from colleagues, um, just even people on the street, if, if you're doing street evangelism, in those times when we are most challenged, those are the times that we must remember that obeying God brings life ultimately. And the Holy Spirit will help us in those times, in those times of trouble. I think in our society today, obedience is often phrased in a negative sense. It's almost spoken about as if there's an authority above you that is sort of putting you down or oppressing you. Um, But obedience, as we see in this passage, it's clear that it's not something to weigh us down. It's not a burden. In fact, it's the religious leaders who are obeying themselves and valuing man's opinion above God that are the ones who are burdened by fear and jealousy um, and are enraged. Whereas it's the apostles who are obeying God who are free from, from this burden. And so I think... When it, when it appears sometimes that obedience is a sort of a negative thing, it's absolutely not um, in this context because we're not ultimately shackled to the demands of the world or the constraints uh, because we're free in Jesus. We're free in Jesus Christ. 
um, and we have eternal life, which is the ultimate freedom, um, the ultimate freedom from sin. So obeying God brings light, and disobeying God brings darkness. Just to finish, um, I'd like to go through some application points. Um, I've slightly glossed over, you might have noticed, the speech at the end of the trial um, from a Pharisee called Gamaliel. Uh, it's, it's very interesting, it's very rich, um, and it ultimately is uh, the speech that convinces the religious to release the apostles. They do beat them first, but they do ultimately uh, release them. Now, in his speech, he speaks about a number of men um, in verse 36 uh, who claim to be somebody. Um, so we have Theodos, we have Judas, um, and they attracted a large following, these men, but they ultimately fell away. And in verse 38, Gamaliel says, if the gospel and the apostles, what they're saying, if that is a work of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, he says to the religious leaders, you will not be able to overthrow them. And you might even be found opposing God. And so what he says is extremely helpful in the application of this passage. So firstly, I want to speak to the Christians uh, here, those who trust in Jesus. I want to encourage you to rejoice as you face trials. Even when it's hard, the Lord is with you. The Holy Spirit is with you. Um, And to continue to preach and evangelize with all people, everyone in your social circle and beyond that. Um, Because we know that the gospel did not fail. We know that the apostles did not fall away. And we know that this is a work, ultimately, of God. And we're here 2,000 years later. And so I want to encourage you to obey God um, and rejoice even when it's tough. Because this is the good news that sets us free from sin. To those here who are sort of in the middle, they don't know where they stand, um, I would encourage you to think about where your loyalties lie in this life. Do you think that you're prioritizing yourself and your own wisdom over God? The passage makes it clear that there's no neutral position on obedience. You're either obeying God or you're obeying man. And so I would say, choose the path that brings life. Don't choose the path that brings darkness. And to those here who are not Christians and do not trust in Jesus, um, you're very, very welcome. This gospel news, as we've seen, is for everyone. It's for all people from all places, from all nations. But do not continue on in the way of darkness. Repent and turn to Jesus. Trust in him who brings life. The religious leaders in this passage, they ignore the gift of Jesus and it leads them to dark places uh, in their lives, but it also leads ultimately to eternal darkness away from God. Um, And the men that Gamaliel speaks about, uh, who claimed to be somebody but weren't somebody, they perished and their followers were scattered. And this is a warning for where disobeying God leads. But there's an alternative. Come to Jesus 
and live. So just to close, we see that disobeying God brings darkness. We see that obeying God brings light. We're encouraged to obey God rather than man. Um, And this is about where our hearts lie today and in the rest of our lives. So obey God who brings life now and forevermore. Let me pray to finish. Father in heaven, we thank you for this wonderful passage of the early church. Lord, we thank you for the witnesses um, of the apostles. And Lord, the way that they obeyed you and they kept on in their ministry despite persecution. Lord, I pray that we can see the warning that we're given of what obeying uh, ourselves and man over you leads to. But Lord, we pray that for all here, we can see how beautiful it is to trust in you. Lord, and how beautiful it is to follow and obey you. And Lord, that for all here, we can look forward to eternal life uh, with you in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.